I went to the garden to see Bruce with a few of the guys from the neighborhood. And it was in 78, the first night he opened up with summertime blues and I almost fell on the floor. And I just, it was like, I guess what it must've been like for people seeing the Beatles. And it was just nonstop rock and roll from the moment they hit the stage. everyone and welcome to a new episode of set lessing bruce your podcast all about bruce springsteen his music and mostly his fans i am your host jesse jackson and joining me today fresh from a trip across the pond she's a little bit um she still has a little jet lag but she is excited to join us at least it sounds like she is my new friend lisa lisa welcome to the show hi jesse uh, so, um, uh, I, you have said that you are a longtime fan and I'm so excited to hear your stories, but let's start out with, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in what was the record business. My father owned record stores when I was a kid. And so essentially I grew up in a record store. Not store, store. So he had multiple he, stores? He did. He had six stores at one point in Queens, New York. Wow. Uh, the local neighborhood record store, if you will, when mm -hmm. there was a local neighborhood record store. Yes. And most anyone of a certain age who grew up in Queens knew of one of my father's stores. Ah, what were the names? They were called Record Spectacular. Record Spectacular. I love that. That is so, that sounds so much fun. So are some of your earliest memories being in a record store? Honestly, my, my earliest memories are sitting on the counter in the main store in Jackson Heights where he did his wholesale business in the basement. Okay. And on Saturdays, he took me to work with him because he worked a half a day. And... As I said, those are my earliest memories of, you know, music, but life in general. Yeah. Um, the, I love this so much, and I'll tell you why. And um, and I know you you were nice enough to say you've listened to a couple episodes and you had nice things to say about it. And my regular listeners will know I will often go on tangents. But one of my earliest memories was um, going to work with my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was the manager of a post exchange. They called it a PX um, at Fort Polk, Louisiana. And think of a PX as kind of a target, you know, Walmart that's on the base that specifically was for the servicemen or their families. Mm -hmm. And there was a spinner rack of comics in the very back. And uh, I would go to work with grandma and she would let me pick all the comics I want. 
I would go back to her office. She would tear the front um, cover off of all of them, give me the comics without the cover, and then she would turn in the covers to her vendor to get credit for them. <laughs> um, and uh, so f- for the longest time in my life, I never knew comics had covers, you know, <laughs> but um, that it just was a, it's a beautiful memory. And so I can only imagine going and, and what's kind of a funny Lisa, right? Is my first question I always ask is, give me your musical background. What kind of music did your family listen to when you were a kid? Obviously, your fam, your dad was passionate about music, owning a record store. Well, he opened. He was. He originally worked for his father in the welding supply business, and loved music so much. In 1961, he opened up his first store. Uh, he had already been in the business, if you will. He was a rack jobber. And he used to go around with a trunk full of records to different locations. Uh, At that time, uh, the store Models was a department store. And he met my mother, who was 16, working in that store in the record department. And apparently they met and it was kismet. Oh, how fun. Yeah. So there was a there's a great musical history behind me um was there any specific when you were at home though was there any specific music that your mom and he loved to listen to or was it a wide diversity it was very diverse however i did grow up on a steady dose of doo-wop because my father was a hitter from the 50s. Yes. Um, he also listened to a lot of big band. We listened to a lot of musicals. Oh, and nice. Interestingly, I knew all of the lyrics and had not seen the movies. It was long before you could turn the television on and watch anything you wanted to sure. see. And so my favorite music was High Society. And it took years of looking through TV Guide before it was actually on TV at three in the morning for me to see the movie. Oh, that is great. Um, the I, I can only imagine. Did do you have? Um, I guess the question I have is, with being a record store, did were there? Did they make? Like certain artists make personal appearances? No, nothing like that. No, no. But at the time, and certainly before my time and as I became a teenager, the record companies were delighted to give you handfuls of tickets and, you know, passes and whatever it was, guest lists. I, I went to the bottom line probably 40 times before I was 18 years old and just walked in because I was on the list. Um, obviously all of them were great, but do you have a few just highlights of shows you saw that you went like now that as an adult, you look back, go, I can't believe I saw that. Uh, yeah, there were a few. I saw Rachel sweet. Who's very little known now, but she was really an industry darling at the moment and in time. Mm-hmm. 
I saw Dire Straits there. Oh, nice. I, I saw Elvis Costello on the first tour. Uh, it was a rather interesting night. I bet. Uh, you know what? It's it's seemingly an endless list. Okay. I was a little too young to see Bruce in the band. I only, you know, I would trade a hundred shows that I have seen to have witnessed one of those. So that's a perfect segue, and I got to remember to ask you this after we get. There's a question I want to ask you, but um, how did you discover Bruce? Or when you got into high school, how did you find your own musical taste, and then? Throw in there how you discovered Bruce. Well, it began much earlier because of my exposure to every kind of music. Right. And the fact that I was able to go to all of these concerts. Sure. And there was a group of kids in the neighborhood, guys, you know, they seemed much older to me then. Yeah. uh, That hung out in my father's store in Jackson Heights. And one of the people that worked for him started taking me to shows when I was about 12 or 13 and Bruce was already an industry favorite and these people had seen Bruce at Max's I mean they saw Bruce really early on what's the time period years is this what what rough time period is this well for me you know I started to go to shows in about I mean I went to a few but I started to go a lot starting in about 77. Okay. And so in the summer of 78, I happened to be in LA and came oh so close to the Roxy show, but my mother only had two tickets and had promised them to somebody else. And when <sighs> mom, <laughs> I yeah. saw the cars though, which was a very interesting. Oh show. yeah, I bet so it was, it was great. Um, because they were just breaking, and that was the music on the radio on the beach at that moment. Sure. So when I got back, I went to the garden to see Bruce with a few of the guys from the neighborhood. And it was in 78, the first night, he opened up with Summertime Blues, and I almost fell on the floor. And I just, it was like... I guess what it must have been like for people seeing the Beatles. And it was just nonstop rock and roll from the moment they hit the stage. The energy, the dynamic, the entire night was so spectacular. I left a screaming fan. Now, did you know of him beforehand? Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, sure. I just, you know, there was the lawsuit period where he didn't really play much. There was a, you know, a bootleg tour. I think that's what they call it. Um, but I hadn't gotten the opportunity until that summer. Okay. And I was only 14. Right. And as I said, you know, it was like my mother seeing Elvis. I was a hysterical teenager. That's the only way to describe it. You know, what I found, I've mentioned this, and I'm not alone in having this theory, but um, there, I I believe there's two kinds of people. There's the people that go to their first Bruce show and say, wow, that was long. And then the, (laughs) the second are, oh my goodness, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I want to follow this guy 
and see him perform every time I can. Right. And um, it appears, I'm guessing, you were in the second category. Well, I'm the latter, for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, so, um, so this is roughly 78? This was the summer of 78. Okay. I got to see those shows at the Garden, mm-hmm. as well as two shows at the Palladium. Okay. Which was a very small venue. They were already doing. That was basically an arena tour. Mm-hmm. And again, I was lucky enough to be situated in a, in a way that I was able to go. And then when he played the Capitol in New Jersey, there was a live radio broadcast which we stayed home and recorded on eight tracks and it took three tapes to record it. And I listened to those tapes until they broke nonstop. So this is the note I had mentally made myself that I wanted to talk about is um, late last year, I had a a guy join me and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but um, he was the first time he saw Bruce was the not the I've seen the future of rock and roll uh, show, but it was during that tour, that time period. And he had shared that he looked over to his date and said, I, I think this guy is going to be huge. You know, this is something pretty special. And and then at the end he started sharing with me that he's, he has so much regret that he didn't know about Bruce to have seen some of those early 70s or late 60s, you know, when he was doing the college tours oh. and campuses and stuff that I could have seen him. And I said, which cracks me up because um, – you know, I didn't see Bruce live till 2002, just through circumstances. And so I have great regret about all the shows I didn't see. Like, I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That's only three hours away from Houston. So, like, and I graduated high school in 77. So, like, I would have been in college and getting on, like, 78, 79. Who knew that only three hours away, right, that there was this early shows and so i have that regret and i thought here's a guy that saw bruce as early as 75 and still wishes he could see him early you're seeing him at this age at you know in it's 78 and you're wishing oh i could have seen that so right. i think it's a common theme we all wish we could have seen him uh, a little bit sooner right better late than never yes um I, you know, my other obsession, I do a, a Doctor Who podcast, and um, and for those of you who don't know Doctor Who, but the the premise is the main character has a time machine, and he can go to anywhere, space, and time, and it's called a TARDIS, and they always joke about where would you go if you had a TARDIS, and I'd go to every Bruce Springsteen show I could, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, Take not you. a doubt, that, that's, that would I go, I'd just go back and forth, back and forth. That's very funny. So after you saw him, did did you go out and try to find as much music as possible? Well, I had the music accessible to me. Okay, yes. Because 
it w- there were thousands of records in my house of all genres. Mm-hmm. Ironically, my father was a vocal lover and he never really loved Bruce. Uh, so I guess Born to Run was in my house. But once I saw him, I was on the floor. And as I said, I listened. There were only four records at that time. I had already been listening to Darkness incessantly that summer because it had just come out. Right. And I continued to listen to the only four records that existed. Continue. I mean, that was my whole diet. Not that I didn't listen to other things. I listened to the radio, but it was just a Bruce fest. And I was still in, you know, junior high school was still up till ninth grade, even though it's high school. Yeah. So when I was in ninth grade, I was like this weirdo in school. The kids were all listening to the Grateful Dead and Van Halen. Mm -hmm. And I was walking around with a born to run jacket and I, and they were like Bruce Springsteen. I, and I just kept telling everyone you have to see him. You need to see him to believe it. Otherwise you don't get it. And I think that that is a big part of it. Not that the records aren't great, but yeah. there's something so exhilarating and still about the live shows that it, it's like a drug you wish you could bottle yes. and take every day. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so I always preface this, Lisa, with uh, I am a firm believer that the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. Um, circumstances, your age, your economic situation, where you live, all of that has so much to do with the amount of times you've seen him perform live. So, but for the record, have you counted how many times you've seen him perform? You know, I I try to add it up, but I'm a little sketchy. I have a lot of ticket stubs, but they're in boxes. I'm estimating about 62. Okay. Could be a little more. That's okay. not including at the Stone Pony where he grabbed a guitar right. and played with Cats on a Smooth Surface. I saw him with John Eddy at the Fast Lane. Okay. Uh, I, I saw him with Steve just in the May summer of sorcery. Yes. He came out in Asbury Park. Mm-hmm. After playing in L.A., we already had tickets and... I, and they said, oh, well, he just played in L.A. And I said, that doesn't mean anything with these guys. Yeah. And sure as the day is long, he picked up that guitar. And, you know, again, it's that same rush. Yes. Um, it's inexplicable unless you're a fan, I think. Yeah, it, it truly is. Um, have you ever gone to My Boss Time? No. What is okay. that? So um, MyBossTime.com is a website where Echo um, is this out of the kindness of his heart. Um, you can sign up for a free account, and then you he has every tour from pre-1975 to current. Wow. And so, for example, um, on January 4th, 1974, he played at Joe's Place. Right. Right. And if you you can mark that 
you attended that show. And so you can go through all the shows if you remember, and then behind the scenes it figures out. And, for example, um, you know, when I logged in and added, um, you then have my boss time, and you go there, um, and so it shows that I've attended, um, you know, 16 shows. And it also does all the facts. It says, okay, what songs have you heard? What songs per album? What are the rarity songs you've heard? Uh, what are your personal premieres? It, it's just a wonder. It It is a rabbit hole that you will go and spend hours just enjoying. Like, I have heard The Rising every time I've seen Bruce perform. 16 times? I've heard The Rising 16 times. Mm-hmm. I've heard Badlands 14 times, you know? Okay. And so, yeah, it's oh, it's just so much fun. Go check it out. I certainly will. All right. So um, can you – this is a hard question. I ask this just because um, sometimes you get magic, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Can you – can you put into words what about him captivated you? What about this guy and his music spoke to you? Well, at the time, there wasn't a great deal of, you know, I want—I don't want to say real rock and roll, but, you know, there was a lot of that corporate, you know, 1970s arena bands and... Just prior to seeing him, I was obsessed with Meatloaf. Okay. Um, And apparently Meatloaf for Jim Steinman was obsessed with Bruce, uh, which made perfect sense because a lot of those record songs were very Springsteenian in their characterizations. And initially, again, because I was exposed... I saw Meatloaf at St. John's University at little tiny theaters. By the time Meatloaf hit big, I was bored with Meatloaf. I had been listening for a year and a half, and Darkness came out. And, you know, I had no interest almost at that point. Um, But seeing Bruce, the energy, Clarence, the, the dynamic between Bruce and Clarence and Steve at that point, but even the entire band, just what they were generating was everything I felt about music that wasn't really out there for me. Right. And it was like like lightning in a bottle almost. And I was, again, like I said, a hysterical teenage girl. Yes. After the first time I saw them, and um, I'm quite a bit older, and I still get that same feeling. And by, from, as they say, from your lips to God's ear, I hope we never lose that enthusiasm. Well, right? you know what? I, I've, you know, I've gone to see Steve a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, I saw about a dozen shows on the Soul Fire tour. I saw six or seven shows on the Summer of Sorcery tour, and I was supposed to see more, but he canceled. He was he was coming to Dallas. I had a ticket. I saw the Soulfire tour, and then he was coming to Fort Worth on the summer tour, and this is when he got sick and he had to cancel the um, right. the show in Fort Worth. 
And I really discovered Steve and really delved into the blues after the No Nukes concerts. Okay. Because fortunately, I sat in the fourth row on the second night. Nice. And the, the first night, I sat in the loge, which was usual. That was record company seats. Mm-hmm. But someone got fourth row seats, and I guess about ten of us stood in in four seats because no one was sitting down. Yeah. And what I really discovered that night was not to disparage Bruce, but he didn't play a whole lot that night. And it was Steve that was holding the band together. And I remember having a flash in my mind of, oh, this will be what Las Vegas Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band will be like. (laughs) But I remember all of us kind of saying, hey, wow, Steve is really keeping this band together. He's holding the band together. And the next day I dove into the Jukes records and the subsequent covers took me on a journey that I was on for many, many years of late 60s soul music, Stax, Motown, you know, all of that genre that the Jukes sort of played. Um, So that was an interesting couple of nights as well. I I bet, you know, one of the things that um, Lynn and I just did a – we we just did a little mini vacation. We went to Memphis, and one of the places we went to was the Saks Museum. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, absolutely amazing. In fact, I had a friend saying that it he almost preferred it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and and I and I I understood why he said that when he did. It was absolutely great. In fact, um, we did the Rock and Soul Museum in Memphis. We we did. Sun. We had already seen Graceland once before, so we had a very musical um, tour when we were in Memphis. We did a lot of stuff, and it was great. Um, and I thought of that, of how much Stephen and Bruce were influenced by that Incredible. music. I, yes. I believe – and. I was a hardcore fan before I ever went to Memphis. Yes. And I also went to Nashville. And, you know, I, again, those same, even though they're different, this, both influences filtered into Bruce, yes. for sure. Yeah. I think Steve much more the soul aspect yes. and Bruce more the rockabilly aspect. But... The sole aspect, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, So just I'm going to throw a um, curveball at you. Um, I think it's been fascinating to hear um, modern Stephen talk about how he now gives advice to bands, don't break up. You guys can go do whatever you want to do. But then keep the band together so that when you're ready, it's still there for you. And he has also been very vocal about how he regrets leaving the E Street Band right when they were cresting because it cost him a lot of money and it it cost him a lot of momentum. Now, he also did a lot of creative things when he did that, and he said, you know – 
uh, would I have done Sun City? Would I have helped do this political if I'd saved the band? I don't know. But from a pure career-wise, you know, he talked about it being a dumb decision. Any thoughts about that? Well, it's twofold for me. First and foremost, I never expected him to be leaving the band because there had been many solo efforts from the band in between The River and Born in the USA. Right. Clarence went out with the Red Bank Rockers. I must have seen 10 of those shows. Mm -hmm. Um, They did the Gary U.S. Bonds records. I saw all of the shows that he did at the bottom line. And I actually dated his then bass player who has now left us, um, George Ruiz. And so that afforded me a little access to Gary, who was a terrific guy um, and a lot of fun. And I really had a great time. So when Steve did his solo record, I, you know, it was like, wow, this is fantastic. I never expected him to leave the band. Yeah. And and he talks about it. Uh, he was very um, the the guy and I'm drawing a blank on Brian, somebody who does billion um, billions, uh, does a podcast. And he was very open about that, that you're always you should be launching the next thing. This success leads you to the next thing. And he learned that. And he says, I I didn't understand how I was shooting myself in the foot by doing this when I should have been like, oh, no, um, you know, we're, we're just getting the point of, you know, the Born in the USA mania. I could have used that to gone on and done other things. And um, I, I've always been impressed by his candor and how passionate he is, and I just found that was interesting. And I do agree um, – as much as I miss Bruce, but um, since the River Tour, um, and let's exclude for a minute uh, the beauty of Broadway and Western Stars and that film and everything, we've been really blessed because we've had Gary do a couple solo albums. Little Steven has come up on his own. Um, you know, Jake has done albums. Uh, you know, Niels has done albums that the it has been a great time f- to be a and I'm doing air quotes an E Street band fan because of all the solo work they've been able to do to stretch their creative muscles um individually which I think when they finally get to tour together will make them even stronger as the band we know and love. I will agree with that wholeheartedly. And as I said, back at that time of Born in the USA, I never expected that Steve would be leaving the band. And Nils Lofgren was a known quantity. I mean, I knew him to be the guitar prodigy that he was. And we also knew Patty Scalfa from The Stone Pony. So it was, wow, they need Nils Lofgren and Patty Scalfa just to take (laughs) Steve. And... Uh, it's kind of the same way you felt on the Wrecking Ball tour. Okay, we have to have a horn section to replace uh, Clarence. Kind of. So, Lisa, I, I'm always curious, and once again, we're going off on a tangent, but um, I 
was a casual fan of Bruce. I mean, uh, 1980, uh, a friend, a dear friend of my wife was going to school on the East Coast. She came back talking about this guy, Bruce Springsteen. And then um, I heard Hungry Heart. I bought The River. Um, and then like everyone else in the world, uh, born in the USA, uh, I remember buying Tunnel of Love. I remember doing the live set. But I, I was a casual fan. Right. You know, just I didn't buy, um, you know, anything, the solo work. And I picked up the rising um, and then but did not become obsessed until I saw him live. Right. I was just lucky. I yeah. got to yeah. see him early. And even though my father had record stores, I would take all my money and I would go into the village yeah. and buy imports. I had yeah. a guy that used to get me stuff from Italy. You had and a, guy. Japan. <laughs> a guy. There was a guy. There was a, you know, there were yeah. a bunch of, there were some great record stores back then down yeah. there. And, you know, there was somebody who I got friendly with because he was another fan. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't even drive. My mother would take us in by train. Um, and, I've got a huge record collection. I'm sure, sure you're not surprised. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, yeah. I've got a, a good amount of Bruce records. So here's my question for you. I am fascinated by this. And and this, we may have to have you back because and tell me if this is too long of a discussion to include this because we haven't even got to favorite songs and stories oh, from the we're, roses we're, stuff. We're, we're only at 1980. Yeah. So talk I, – I want to have you, and if you can talk about it now, if not, we'll have you on a, another time. How did you feel during this dark period? I mean, Bruce fires the band. Um, he moves to California. I mean, what were your thoughts when that happened as someone who had been a fan of him since the late seventies and all, you know, and you've got the massive born in the USA, the, the brilliant tunnel of love. Um, you know, he, he gets married, he gets divorced, he and Patty move off and all of a sudden the band's disbanded. What were your thoughts about that quote unquote dark period and the other band? Well, interestingly, I love lucky town. Yeah. I think it is a very underrated record, largely because the fans only believe in the band. And as hardcore a fan as I am of the E Street Band and all of its original members, I loved that tour. Mm -hmm. I thought, and I, again, I loved Lucky Town. And ironically, I got pregnant with my son during that tour and i always laugh and tell him yep you saw bruce in utero in 1993 a couple of times and for me it wasn't as big you know it was more traumatic for me to lose steve okay. than it was the whole band because i was such a big steve fan i had that license plate that says Miami fan on yeah. my car in high school. Well, I, I want to hear about that. I just want to share. I am on the record. Um, if if I had to pick a favorite song of Bruce Springsteen, it Better Days and Land of Hope and Dreams would be my top two. 
and then three rotates every day. But Better Days by far is if I had to put down one song, that would be it. It is my philosophy of life. I think it is it is a it is a message that I think we should embrace that life is a journey and you've got to enjoy the journey, the goods and the bads, because, you know, today is the better days. So that said, I'm right there with you on Lucky Town. Well, I, you're one of the rare ones, and I appreciate yeah. that because yeah. most of the hardcore fans just dismiss those records. And again, Human Touch, you could almost hear that Human Touch was a struggle for him to do in the record. And I know that he had writer's block prior to doing that record, and Lucky Town spilled out of him in three weeks. Yeah, and, and you certainly could make the argument – um, you might have been better served to make only one album with, you know, picking both. But once again, I'm not going to tell Bruce Springsteen what to do with his life well, or creatively, I, right? Well, you know what? It's my understanding that Human Touch was finished and they were pretty much doing the finishing touches on it and Lucky Town spilled out of him. And he thought, well, I'll just give them two. He was busy raising a family, and then he had the record company off his back for a while. Yeah. And I, as I said, got pregnant. I'm probably listening to Lucky Town. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. It was the Lucky Town summer and Nirvana. Yeah, how funny. Never mind. And that's when I got pregnant, and – when he kind of pulled back and really stopped working after that. Yeah. Um, I felt a kinship because I kind of pulled back. I had a baby. I was home being mom. That was the primary thing for me. And it felt like he and I were on parallel paths. Yeah. And so I didn't miss too much because there wasn't too much to miss. Yeah. Um, so I, Let's go back to um, your love of Steve and um, tell me the story of the Miami fan license plate. Oh, well, when I was in high school, I had a 77 Camaro and vanity plates were not very popular, but they were out there. Yeah. And I did want Bruce fan. But somebody already had it. Yes. And I truly was a Miami Steve fan. I mean, yes. besides that, I wrote Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band on on all the desks at school. I wrote Miami Steve on every single desk I sat in in mm-hmm. high school. Yes. Every single desk. So I got this license plate and every Miami Dolphins fan known to man would pull up next to me in the car and show me their hat, show me their bumper sticker, and I would just shake my head. And yeah. I finally cut out lettering, and underneath on the bumper, I put E Street Band. <laughs> and so it said, Miami fan, E Street Band. That's awesome. And I actually, with that car, went, just perchance, was going to the feast in Little Italy mm-hmm. with my uncle, and... This is an ongoing thing with Steve and my nervousness. Okay. Uh, the first time he was 
standing on the corner at the feast. And I was driving and my uncle opened up the window and he was like, hey, what do you think of that license plate? And he came walking over to the car and the light turned green and I hit the gas. Oh, because you were. (laughs) And for no reason, I just I was nervous. And as it turned out, he was filming for Men Without Women, which I am one of the few people who actually have seen that movie. And they were filming Princess of Little Italy that night. And I actually saw him milling around and I was kind of following him and he was trying to get away from me. So I left him alone. Okay. I reiterated this to him not that long ago, maybe in the last couple of years. He said he really didn't remember the car or that night. But again, it's something I'll never forget. Sure. Um, I I gave him one of those license plates recently. Oh, good. So if... If we're playing E Street Bingo, okay. uh, how many uh, members of the band have you met? Oh, gosh, I've met everybody, I suppose. Really? Except for Jake. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, the original band. Yes. And Patty. Yeah. Um, I had gotten, I have an original Roxy poster. Mm-hmm. that Bruce signed, Clarence signed. I was a crazy fan. Okay. So uh, the first time when Bruce signed that, we were in Philadelphia. Yeah. And we stayed to, – to be able to access the band, we stayed in the same hotel, yeah. which I believe was the Ben Franklin Hotel. And when they went out for sound check, Bruce signed, and he was very nice. Mm-hmm. And coming back, Steve came in and we asked him for an autograph and he wouldn't sign. And I reminded him of this. And my friend walked away and I, again, started to walk away. And he grabbed me and he said, hey, tell in that old Steve voice, which was the one that David Chase heard at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. And that's yes. really how he spoke. Right. He was like, hey, tell your friend over there, you know, I don't want to be a superstar. I just want to play my guitar. Tell him not to be insulted, you know. And my friend really huffed off um, because we had – it was, in hindsight, a great moment. And when I reiterated the story to Steve, he said, yeah, well, you know, that didn't last long. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the truth. He wouldn't sign. Uh, The first time he signed anything, I think it was – when he already went solo and I think I was in Boston and I was waiting. Probably I was the only one waiting outside for him to leave the theater. And he and Maureen came out and he signed my plane ticket. (laughs) Oh, how funny. Yeah. Steve was great. Yeah. It is great. great Yes, he is. Um, I have a little crush on Susie. Like, I, really? yeah, I like I would I would welcome any and all and in E Street Band members. If you're listening to this, you have an open forum to come talk. And, you know, I won't even bug you about the E Street Band. I'll just talk about your musical obsessions and love. You're welcome. But um, <laughs> I just think Susie is just very cool. <laughs> you know, she's very talented. I, she's amazing. Yeah, she is. And so um, so I always like. Um, she 
a little something. I just think, and all of them are great, but I, I just think that would be a lot of fun to have her kind of talk about because she's been on the peripheral so much and then finally came into her own, you know, during the Rising Tour and now then is, in in my mind, a vital part of the band. So I think it's been, I think she's been a wonderful addition for the band and because of her friendship with Patty and, you know, the length of time that they've played together, it's kind of nice that the girls have each other. Yes, I agree with that. Well said. I, I totally agree with that. Um, gosh, I, I, we've now wandered off. And so, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that, no, this is perfect. Um, so talk to me a little bit. Um, You've already shared some stories, but there are other stories that you go, yeah, I need to tell you this about like from the road or meeting other fans or things you want to share. Okay. Um, well, between the river and born in the USA, I spent a lot of time with my stepbrother and a good friend of mine going to Asbury Park chasing Bruce. Okay. And, you know, we would we needed probably $12 to get there for gas and tolls. And a lot of times we couldn't even scrape that together, but we used to go down and there was a guy there whose name was Jim Mirabel. I think they called him the Asbury flash and he went to school with Danny and we would go down there and Danny would hang out and we would drink and party. And he was so much fun and again, just a really good guy. And, you know, we would just go down weekend after weekend. And, you know, most of the time we would miss Bruce. If we went on Friday, he would play on Saturday. Right. We could never afford to spend the night. I think maybe one New Year's Eve we spent the night. It cost $50. You know, Asbury Park was a rundown ghost town in those days. Yes. Um, and supposedly it was a little dangerous, but... I never felt any fear. Okay. And, you know, those nights were so great because even if Bruce didn't play, often he was in the club and there was just electricity. Yeah. People hoping he would pick up the guitar. And those house bands were great. I mean, Cats on a Smooth Surface, they were an amazing band, underrated. It was just an incredible time to be the age that I was and into Springsteen yeah. because as I said, I saw, you know, 10 shows that Clarence did. I probably saw more than a dozen Gary Bond shows. And then when Steve went out, I mean, it was like a dream come true for me. I never thought that that could ever, that was like a wild fantasy. And I went to see him. And as we discussed, I, never expected him to leave the band. I thought it yeah. was just his solo project. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are just loads of stories, you know, behind all of those trips down there. Every one was a story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did, and this is gonna, this is a little weird of a question, but, um, did seeing them so often, did they did they start to recognize you? 
Um, that's an interesting question. I would say at the time going down when we used to see Danny, yeah. he knew us because we were friends with this, with the flash. Yeah. Um, and everyone wanted to know when Steve went on the road again, a couple of years ago, did he remember you? Did he remember you? And you know, the answer is definitely not maybe okay. by the end of the tours. I mean, now if he sees me, I'm sure he remembers me. Um, yeah. But, you know, there have been millions of fans and, you right. know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. And, you know, I don't think I'm anybody special other than I'm just a huge fan. So and the reason I ask is I, I always feel a little weird. Um, there's a writer named Brad Meltzer who um, is uh, – New York Times bestselling author. Yep. He's written mystery novels. He just wrote a nonfiction novel. He has a whole series of he and Chris Alepolis do I Am children's books, and there's now a PBS show based on their work. And I happen to be, every time Brad came into Dallas, um, I would be there. And one time I volunteered to sell T-shirts for him, and he always sees me. And, mm -hmm. like, he goes, oh, Jesse, you have a question. And um, three years ago when I was sharing that I had colon cancer, he DM'd me and said, cancer, are you okay? So I, I go, I, I wouldn't call us friends, but he is certainly aware of me enough that he recognizes me in a crowd and like, oh, that's Jesse. So I didn't know if because of how often you've seen them and how you're you're very passionate and the connections you have, I didn't know if there were some of the band that go, oh, yeah, that's Lisa. Well, certainly the Disciples of Soul okay. that have just been on the road, certainly they recognize me. Okay. Certainly, I mean, Eddie Mannion, I wouldn't call him a friend, but he's somebody who points me out every show he okay. you know nice. and i actually became friends with clark gayton who is so underrated and so incredibly talented mm -hmm. he plays around in new york in all different incarnations of music from big bands to reggae yeah a super talented guy and really nice but again you know anthony almonte the, the Disciples of Soul definitely know who I am at this point That's because nice. I went to so many shows. When they went back on the road, I never in my wildest dreams thought that they would ever, you know, I thought that was over. Steve went back with the band. Yeah. And, you know, it was a one-off initially, and then they started to tour, and so did I. Yeah, it was – It was. I was really lucky enough. They were coming to Dallas – and on Twitter, Little Steven said um, at the um, Hard Rock Cafe at downtown Dallas, I'm going to do an impromptu, um, you know, garage band. And so he, we got there early. Uh, the band started doing there. Um, uh, and I saw Eddie and I, hey, can I take your picture? You know, and and um, and then Little Steven came took pictures with all of us, was very kind. Um, and then they ended up, there was a birthday party there, so they wouldn't let him do his 
DJ thing. So they just ended up eating and leaving, you know. But I was like, okay, I got my picture taken with them. That's, you know, I, I now have Neil's. I have little Steven, you know, on my uh, bingo card of people right. I've met. Bruce, I've, got a picture, I've got a picture of me and Bruce from St. Paul. Yeah. Um, we flew out for the first couple of shows of the Born in the USA tour. And the daytime of the second night, we were just shopping in the mall. Mm -hmm. And there was Bruce. And my friend had one picture left on one of those, remember those disc cameras? Yes. With the round, you know, film. He had one picture left and he snapped a picture of me and Bruce. And I have on my Born in the USA shirt. And ironically, in the background, uh, was Jimmy McDuffie who did his security at that time. Oh, how and funny. Fast forward to about oh, 2008, I guess, maybe 2009. My cousin was going to school in Staten Island, younger. She was in college and she got snowed to where they couldn't get the ferry back to school. And she came with a couple of friends to spend the night in my apartment. And... Her friend is very plugged in. Apparently, Jimmy McDuffie is her uh, godfather. Okay. And she just casually mentioned it. And I pulled out the picture and I said, oh, this Jimmy McDuffie? And she fell over because he's in the background of the picture with me and Bruce. That is hilarious. And she wasn't even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, the My picture was um, when – for the autobiography um, – you know, he did the first round were all, you know, East Coast, then just maybe one or two in California, West Coast. And then they did a second round and there was one in Austin and I drove down and got my six seconds with him. And okay. so I have the picture of us at the book signing um, and where I got to tell him, you know, how much um, Better Days and Land of Hope and Dreams meant to me. Um, as I've told the story a hundred times, I don't think he heard it, but I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that, that's, that's very cool. The, you, you've been very vocal about some of the music, but is, is there any thing, any particular songs or albums that we haven't touched on that has a special place in your heart? Well, there's a couple. I would have to say, first of all, when the Ties That Bind came out, that to me that was a dream come true because I had been chasing that music my entire life. Okay. Bootlegs were hard to come by. Some of the songs I knew, some had been released, some were played by other people. Yeah. But Essentially, it was just as the, you know, the heavens opened up and dropped this record on me. Yes. Um, that aside, I love, you know, and my favorites change. You know, how could I how could I be a Bruce fan and not say Born to Run is my favorite record? Absolutely. You know what I mean? But well, I, and, and, I love E Street Shuffle. And, I, and, you know, um, I have a good friend, Sam. And Sam and I talk all the time, and we and we always mention with with 
without malice, we go, okay, you're doing Be the Boss on E Street Radio. Um, what? Don't pick Thunder Road as one of your five songs. Of course, Thunder Road means the world to you. Thunder Road means the world to all of us, right. you know? Right. Um, and uh, so I, I kind of that same thing. When I say um, Land of Hope and Dreams or Better Days are my favorite songs, but that's also I'm not giving short um, to Rosita or Thunder Road or Born to Run, you know, or The Rising. I completely understand. You know, I mean, it, it is, there are, there, there are, and, and I talk about this often. It's ever changing. And, and, and also I think that is, you know, that's where the title of this podcast came from is that when you're not at a show and he plays a song that you would have loved to hear live, you stop set listing and you start set lusting. Right. <laughs> um, so that's where the title came from. So for me, the yeah. one song that I've never heard him play that I wish I could hear. Perfect, Lisa, because that was just the question I was going to ask you. Okay. Well, for me, it is E Street Shuffle. Wow. Okay. I've never heard them. And ironically, when they were at the end of the 2009 tour yeah. and playing whole albums – I already had tickets and ended up at the River show. Not that I was disappointed, but I had seen dozens of River shows. Right. Dozens. Back in the day. Back in the day. Not it was, the it album was, from front to but back. Meant, but, but not from it, start yeah. to finish, Never, yeah. which was a treat. Sure, but the absolutely. night before, my stepbrother had tickets and he did E Street Shuffle, the whole album, but he already made a commitment to a friend who was a, as big a fan as the rest yeah. of us to go that night. And he tells the story that before they started to play, his friend leaned over and said, well, what do you think he'll open with? And he said, I don't know, Thundercrack. And that's what he opened with. Oh, how fun. Um, but great. I, you know, again, that I would have traded at least a dozen shows yeah. to have seen that night. Yeah, that's, that's... I, I was taking my son. It was too, too much. Mm -hmm. But, that's, you know, yeah. I, I'm very grateful that I took my son to the Magic Tour. Yeah. And so he got to see Clarence, which was a big thing. And I have to tell you, as a fan, after he passed, I couldn't see the band. Oh, really? It took me. It took me until the River Tour. Mm -hmm. in so, so you didn't go to Wrecking Ball or High I did Hope. not. I did not, and I loved the records. Yeah. But I just couldn't bring myself to see a show without Clarence. I, I understand that. I, you know, and I could see that. Um, it was devastating. Yeah, and you know, and and I think they handled it well. Oh, definitely. Uh, um, a little weird. Um, you know, losing Danny was certainly tough, but Clarence was such a presence, and Bruce and his friendship was so epic on stage 
not that they all aren't friends and and brothers off stage but on stage so yeah it was really weird and um it was devastating i remember um i i ended up um i had sirius xm but i didn't have the um the online version in other words you know where you could play it anywhere from right. a computer right. and i ended up buying it and I sat at my computer listening to the replay of the um, special uh, Apollo show, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time he did that, Are We Missing Anybody? Yeah. And, and even telling the story now, Lisa, I have tears oh, in the side so of my So why? I just pulled a tissue. Right. Um, <laughs> because, you know, Are We Missing Anybody? And it just is so – and. And I still stand by that, you know, if if you're here and we're here, they're here. And and I think about that when I'm going to family get-togethers mm -hmm. where our grandparents aren't there or my dad isn't there. And I, I always think of that, well, if we're here and they're here, you know, if, if we're, you know, you're here and we're here, then they're here. And that presence is um, such... And I believe losing Clarence and then losing David Bowie and Glenn yeah. Fry and then Prince, but even especially Bowie before the River Tour of 2016, mm -hmm. I think that is one of the reasons why they had such a joy playing together. Because in my mind, they all go, the, the road in front of us is shorter than the road behind us. I we say have, that every day. <laughs> we have no, we have nothing guaranteed of how many more times we are going to get to play together. And and I say with quotes, play, because it is a job for them, but it also, they are playing music. They are, there is such a joy of them performing together. And I think they were incredibly strong that tour. I think they showed their, their love and, and the, greatness of the band but there was such a we are so grateful that we are having not a final victory lap but we are having this ability to do this again at this point in our career i will agree with that completely and it's interesting because as i said i couldn't really bring my i couldn't bring myself yeah to go but i did and right off the bat, I said, Jake is playing Clarence's horns. There is no doubt in my mind that yeah. he is playing his horns. There's only, you know, he learned the solos. But I met somebody in the parking lot who had never seen a Bruce show. Okay. And that was his first show. And after the show, we were parked next to each other. And... I personally, you know, would have preferred they I thought I was going to see the outtakes, frankly. I didn't realize they were playing the whole album again. Yeah. It was great. But I kind of said something like, gee, I wish I could have picked that set list. Yeah. And I remember him saying something like, Oh my god, that was like the greatest show I ever saw in my life. Yes. Bar none. And I said, You have just seen the greatest show on earth. 
Yes. No doubt about it. But I guess I'm a little bit jaded. Um having been a fan for so long yeah. and seeing so many shows that were just epic shows. I can remember on the river tour, I was already a big Steve fan and almost being annoyed if I was on the Clarence side, you know, not annoyed, but yeah, just but like, Oh dang it. Yes. You know, ugh. but what I wouldn't do to be able to see him play in front of me from the fourth row. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, it was a devastating loss musically for the band. I can't imagine what their friendships, what the loss must have been for them. When I only – I cried two or three times. I was lucky enough to get a show, to get a ticket on Broadway. And even luckier, my wife said, yes, we have no business spending the money, but we're going to let you go. <laughs> um, Good lady. Yes, and – and when he's doing 10th Avenue Freeze Out and he is talking about his love of Clarence and the band, yeah. um, you know, I I had some tears. Yeah. And um, obviously talking about his mother made me uh, tear up. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they, they, they figured out how to do it and that there is a joy – um, and they honor both Danny and Clarence not being there without being overly melodramatic or morose. It is just a we're continuing to play and they are here in spirit with us. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. From from a, a longtime fan. Yeah. And I give them a lot of credit for being able to pick the pieces up because I didn't think that they could. Yeah. Um. And I, I think if it weren't for Jake being Jake Clemens and playing the sax, I don't know that the band could have survived. Yeah, I think that helped. I think that because he has a certain um, – and now I'm going to share something that I don't normally like to. I was a little – I was a little resentful when I went to the Wrecking Ball tour that Jake was a little too quick to take the spotlight – and I was like, hey, look, you haven't earned that, you right. know, and, and but then the more I watched it and the more I saw and then um, someone has shared with me, Allie, who's been on the show, has said nothing happens on that stage that Bruce is not 100 percent approve of. Like if you don't like that, 25 teenage girls show up on stage, trust me. They would not show up on stage if Bruce was not okay with it. And, well, I agree with that. But yeah. back in the day, the girls used to just run on the stage. Yes, they, yes. Could, they couldn't be contained. Right. And probably the most outrageous night was on New Year's Eve on the River Tour at Nassau Coliseum, mm -hmm. which happened to have been one of the greatest shows ever. Uh, girls just kept climbing on the stage. Right. I mean – they just couldn't be contained. Some would just touch him. Some would just kiss him. But I bet 20 girls jumped on the stage that night. Yeah, and what we were specifically talking about, um, when he was in Dallas for Dancing in the Dark, all these teenage girls came up there. And there were a lot of people complaining about it. And that's when Allie had talked about that he controls that part about doing Dancing in the Dark and what's going on. 
Oh, I'll um, tell you. The, I'll tell you the story of the video. How's that? Okay, let's go for it. Okay, uh, I was in the front row. Yes. A few people that I flew out with, one of whom has become Steve's assistant. Oh, nice. I don't know that I should name her or not. That's uh, okay. But we went out. And a scalper out there sold us tickets for the first two nights for $75, which to a New Yorker, that was like practically free. Yeah. And opening night, we sat in the front row and we were dead center. And we knew that they were filming the video. And just before the song, five girls got paraded in front of us and we were kind of giving them the elbow like get lost yeah, like we're, hey we're, what are you doing we're in the spot yeah and the security guy said no they're they're actresses and you know they're here and he there were four or five of them and he chose courtney cox there were others yes and we were beside ourselves because we were so sure one of us would be the one that night. <laughs> yeah. And um, I am in the video for two and a half seconds. There my, you go. My son laughs. He says, that's my two and a half seconds of fame. There you go. Um, but that was, again, like you said, sanctioned by Bruce. This was yeah. not, you know, he wanted actresses, somebody who was professional, yeah. not somebody who would potentially be hysterical. Yeah. Um, you could now tell your son that, um, you now have reached the fame of you're on a Springsteen podcast that has dozens of people who listen to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, what have I not asked you that I should have? Oh my goodness. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Okay. Uh, because there are so many shows, there are so many okay. stories. Uh, you know, I went when they opened up the burn arena mm -hmm. during the river tour, I went to every show. So here's what, here's your homework, Lisa. Okay. Um, think about this, jot down some stories you want to tell me, and then I'm going to have you on again in about, you know, whenever our score goes next, you know, next month or so and then we'll do part two and we could go here are the you know here are the untold stories that we didn't get to this time how's that sound works for me if it works for you absolutely all right so jay armstrong is a honors english teacher in the philadelphia area and um every year he takes two days of his honors english class and they discuss thunder road as a poem they break it down, they look at the lyrics, and they look at the imagery used in the song, they compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled, and they just do a deep dive into this um, epic story. And at the end of the two days, he looks at his class and asks them the question, does Mary get in the car? So Lisa, that is your question. At the end of Thunder Road, does Mary get in the car? I think she does. Okay. I think she does. All right. Any reasoning why? Any you want to share your work or just going to leave it at that? Well, I think 
you know, it's a town full of losers and we're pulling out of here to win. Not I'm pulling out of here. Right. We're pulling out of here to win. Yes. And I think for myself, that is the word that says she gets in. Good. All right. Um, any final thoughts you want to share with uh, either me or the audience? Just that it has been an honor and a joy to have been lucky enough to enjoy the greatest band on earth during our time that I am 56 years old and I still get the same exhilaration I did when I was 14. And you know, it's amazing. I always say with all apologies to Walt Disney World, the happiest place on earth isn't Disney World. It is a Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band concert. I'm with you a thousand percent. <laughs> all right. So um, you just recently joined Twitter. So do you yeah. want to share your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is forever 45s. Nice. All right. Hang tight while I do a little business. Hey, listeners, do you want to join me and share your Springsteen story like Lisa just did? Um, I Every Springsteen has a story, and it, it is my um, my quest to get as many of them on the record as possible. So reach out to me. Go to setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is at Twitter at setlustingbruce. We have a webpage, www.setlustingbruce.com. From the webpage, you can find our store. There is a link where you can buy a Set Lessing Bruce t-shirt or a Does Mary Get in the Car t-shirt. Because the question <laughs> isn't, does the dress sway or wave? It's does she get in the car? Uh, you can go to our Patreon page where if you want to kick in a little bit of cash every week to support the podcast every month, uh, there are different tiers uh, starting with a personal thank you note uh, and a Set Lessing Bruce sticker to – uh, the ability to co-host the podcast with me once a month, depending on how much you want to share. Um, if you don't want to give me some cash right now, and I get that, we all got other things to do, go to iTunes, rate and review the show. Go to wherever you listen to your podcast. Go give us a ratings, write a review. It is how people find us. Whew. There's my business. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. This was a blast. You tell great stories. I love your passion. I love your enthusiasm. And I hope that we get to see each other further down the road at some show, be it Bruce or Little Steven, Jake or someone. Uh, it's a date. All right. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Lisa. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.